Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ray Danger, Glenn Macnaff, Sunday morning on 94 WIP. Mike Sielski is author of The Rise, Kobe Bryant, Pursuit of Immortality. I read it. Um, and Ray, I, I was really struck as we bring Mike on as a guest that, and I know this is going to sound foolish because we live through it, but that walking among us, going to the same hangouts and hoagie shops and playing on the same playgrounds and, and the JCC gym out near where I live at city line and Haverford Avenue was this incendiary talent for the ages who passed through our lives. And Mike, that's, as I read the book, it's like I knew this, but it just struck me um, that aspect of the book, that all this happened right here, right where we live. Uh, yeah, Glenn, thanks. Um, and that struck me, too, in, in researching and writing it. Um, I kept thinking that there should have been more written about Kobe before he became a senior at Lower Marion, um, just because he was making this rise and he was the son of a, you know, basketball you know, relatively speaking, a legend in the city and Joe Bryant. And here he is, you know, making this journey to becoming this incredible player himself. And it wasn't really until like the end of his junior year or the beginning of his senior season that people really started to catch on into how good he was and how great he was going to be. Yeah, not to not to rip your current employer, but you do write in there about how Jeremy Treatman, um, who yes. we all know is a local basketball figure and who was the guy covering preps at the time for the Inquirer, kept saying like, we got to write about this kid. We got to write about this kid. And his editor's like, yeah, yeah, yeah who cares? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he got That's it. True. Um, your column earlier this week, uh, after the, the Sixers lost uh, to Washington, essentially said that unless Ben Simmons comes back to play, which is obviously unlikely, that um, Daryl Morey's stubbornness is jeopardizing the Sixers season. I'm just going to read a little bit of what you wrote. Uh, counting on Simmons to stop sitting in the corner and sucking his thumb seems the worst of these two bets. Brilliant, by the way. But Morey's infatuation with Harden and his apparent refusal to receive even 99 cents in return for what he perceives to be Simmons' dollar are the factors that most put this season in peril for the Sixers. You really think he needs to give up more? Because Ray and I were talking. I, how much more leverage does Brooklyn have here? Yeah, they don't have a lot of leverage. I think it's funny, Glenn. I just finished within 15 minutes of getting on the phone with you guys, writing another column about this, in which I took a look at, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, Maury's history with Harden and how just, I don't know of another word, but kind of devoted to James Harden as a player, as the centerpiece of a championship team, Maury has been throughout his career. You know, Harden is kind of the validation of 
Maury's approach to team building. He got he got Harden when Harden was 23, and the Rockets became contenders, and they cycle through all these other superstars, all while Harden is there trying to win a championship and getting close and never doing it. And I think that's the potential kind of obstruction here for the Sixers, is that Maury runs the risk of getting so fixated on getting this guy who he's been either chasing or been with his whole career that it stops him from making the kind of deal that either could help the Sixers this season, like I wrote, as you just mentioned, or might be better for them in the long term, right? Like, just because Harden is the best, best player available doesn't mean that getting him is the best move for the Sixers to make because of what you might have to give up to get him or the fact he's 32 or how, you know, how does it change the dynamic of the team, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there, there's an opportunity here right now this season if they want to trade Ben Simmons and get better. And, you know, the more you look at the East, the more I think, like, you know, probably ought to do it if they can. Yeah, I, I think when, going back to the start of the season, when Simmons took his position and said, I'm not coming in, I'm not playing there, and Maury kind of said, well, we're just going to sit and wait, and we're just going to ice this guy. And if it takes if it takes all year, it takes all year. Initially, the reaction that I sensed from the public and listening to the radio station and so forth was good. Good. Don't give this guy what he wants. Let him sit it out. If he wants to sit it out, go let him sit it out. Everybody was kind of on board with that at that time. But as time has gone by, and we're now past halfway mark, and now you're into February, um, and there's just a a weariness with the whole story and everything, Um, I'm just wondering what the people's reaction was to the column that you wrote where you took the position and said, let's do this. Do you get the feeling initially people were very dug in about, we'll show this guy, he's not going to push us around, or he's not going to force a trade, let's let him sit there and rot, to the point where, enough already, let's move him. Yeah, right, I I absolutely got that reaction and what's funny is and I'm this is going to sound like I'm patting myself on the back but I'm really not I wrote that at the start of this thing that yeah it feels good now to say let Simmons sit and rot but Daryl Morey's job as a general manager of the Sixers as the general manager of the Sixers is not to you know allow people to feel satisfied by punishing Ben Simmons his job is to build a team that can compete and eventually win a championship and the, the the season was always going to be the test of people's impressions and, and judgment of this whole situation. And as the season went on, it became clear, like, they're not quite good enough. They're good, and, and they might be good enough if they trade Simmons and just add whatever they can get for him to compete for a championship. But they're not good enough to just let him sit and rot. And people eventually were going to get to the point where they were like, hey, look, like, we got to do something here, you know, and I know – Maury wants to hold out for the best possible deal, and that's great, but you don't know how that's going to go. I mean, any, you know, anything could happen. Suppose you know, James Harden gets injured, or you know, anything is possible. Um, so, yeah, I think initially people, were, as you said, Ray, were very happy to say, yeah, let Ben Simmons sit. Well, that's great, but that doesn't get you any closer to a championship. Mike Sealski is our guest. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Sealski, S-I-E-L-S-K-I. Has Simmons' um, trade value changed since the start of the season? I mean, he hadn't, hadn't done anything wrong, hadn't done anything right. Well, I guess what he's done wrong is he's, you know, kind of the public whine, not public, but the, the whine behind the scenes to Shaquille O'Neal and so on and, 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 and all that's come out from his side. But do you think his value has increased or decreased? I'm not sure it's changed, Glenn. I think the way the Sixers are playing this is 
they are banking that whatever team might trade for Simmons assumes that they are going to get a motivated Ben Simmons who is ready to play and ready to be anywhere else other than Philadelphia. Um, I know that's the way they're looking at it, that, you know, that's just kind of taken for granted around the league that, you know, in Rich Paul related situations, um, his clients end up where they want to go and then are motivated to play for the teams that they end up playing for. And so in that regard, I, I wish I could answer your question, but I'm not sure. I think Probably some teams are looking at it that way. I'm not sure all teams are looking at it that way. There have to be executives and coaches and people around the league looking at this and going, you know, how much does this guy, can we really take a chance on a guy who's willing to sit out, you know, an entire season? And the one thing that's been consistent throughout this whole situation is that Simmons has made it clear he is not playing for the Sixers. He's just not going to do it. So, you know, to answer your question about his trade value, I'm not sure. I think it depends on what, you know, each individual team and its leadership group feels about uh, Simmons and how they weigh that whole willingness to sit. You know, Mike, you mentioned um, that the uh, the way the East looks right now, and it, do- it does look wide open. I mean, you've got five or six teams within two or three games of each other, uh, all bunched at the top. And uh, the, the, the feeling is, if you just look at the standing, if you just look in the paper, you say, wow, it's, you know, the Sixers could win this thing. There's not that much separating these teams. I don't know. You know, I, I'll just tell you my feeling. Just looking at the, just looking at the teams, I still think Milwaukee is the best team, uh, and I think that this is one. I think they're they're in a year after a championship, where they're, the regular season just kind of is the treading water phase, you know. And we're just, you know, we're going to get to the playoffs, and then then we're going to start to play. And I, I just think this idea that any one of these five or six teams could win this thing is probably more illusion than reality. I still look at the Bucks as when you get to the postseason, the Bucks are going to say, they're going to lace them up and say, okay, it's time to go play, and they're going to be the best team all over again. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying, Ray. I think, you know, from the Sixers' standpoint, I'm not sure they're as top-heavy as you need to be, as great as Embiid is uh, and has been, and as wonderful and, and kind of joyful as it is to watch Tyrese Maxey play, um, I'm not sure Embiid has enough around him at the top of that roster to get done what the Sixers want to get done. Um, but again, that's one of the risks that if you're Maury, you have to weigh. Like take, for example, the, the Nets, right? Like let's say he trades straight up. You know, the, the Nets decide, you know what, Harden's not going to sign with us in the offseason. We know that. We're going to trade him now at the deadline. I don't know if this is going to happen. It's probably not likely to happen, but let's say it does. So you, it's straight up. Ben Simmons for James Harden. What if Ben Simmons comes back and makes the Nets better than the Sixers? Then Harden makes the Sixers. Mm-hmm. Because you've got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and now you've got – Simmons doesn't have to shoot the ball ever yeah. with those yeah. two guys on the roster, and he's given them great defense and passing and speed and all the things that he can do without having to worry about whether he's going to the foul line in the fourth quarter. So oh, that would be the irony, wouldn't it? Yeah, it sure would. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, Ray. I think, you know, whether it's the Bucks, whether it's the Nets kind of getting themselves right before the playoffs, um, I think there will be some separation once the, the postseason begins. I want to change the topic for a moment because you wrote an interesting column this week after Tom Brady's retirement, kind of looking at his all-time uh, standing among sports villains in Philadelphia. He was not in our division. He was not in our conference. You know, the Eagles played him, whatever, once every couple of years, but played him in two Super Bowls. Uh, how will Eagles fans regard Tom Brady historically? This is just kind of my take on it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, 
he's kind of a villain that I don't think a whole lot of people around here hated, if that makes sense. Like, he's not the Cowboys, and he's not, you know, I don't know, the Atlanta Braves of the 90s and the 2000s. There was this combination of admiration and fear with Brady because he was so good. Yeah, because he was so good and because of the way he came up through the NFL, right? Like, he had that underdog element to him that Philadelphia sports fans love. He was the sixth round pick, the 199th overall. He wasn't the chosen one at the beginning of his career or anything like that. Um, and so I think that's kind of, he's kind of got this unique place where like, you know, you didn't hate him the way you might've hated, you know, the, like I said, the Cowboys or I don't yeah, know. You're not Ray Romo. Would, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. And, or the, even like Ray would remember this, like the Pittsburgh pirates of the seventies when they would play oh, sure. the Phillies, like, you know, they, that was hatred back then. People forget that, but it's true. Brady doesn't occupy that same kind of space. He was just kind of too good. Um, and came from the, had that story that Philadelphians love. So I think he's kind of on his own in that regard. You know, we're a week away from the Super Bowl, and um, just wondering how you're looking at this game. Um, you're feeling about it this time. Um, you're, and kind of just what you think, because you and I talked about this over the course of the season. This was not a particularly great NFL season on the whole. It really wasn't. You know, there, there, there wasn't a really compelling story. There wasn't really a great team. The officiating, once again, was awful. Uh, the regular season was kind of uh, not much. But then you got into the postseason, and the last two weekends were just ter- terrific. Uh, and, you know, the NFL is going, at least competitively, put the Brian Flores thing aside for a moment, but just talking about what's happening on the field, the NFL's got to feel pretty good about what they got going into the Super Bowl. Do you have a feeling they can get yet another great game out of it? I do, Ray, and I think there are some really kind of cool storylines here. I mean, the idea that the Bengals could win a Super Bowl, obviously that's a great underdog story. The idea that Joe Burrow, within you know two years after finishing what might be the best season any quarterback has ever had in the history of college football, could then take that sad sack franchise to a championship is remarkable. The idea that Matthew Stafford, after languishing all those years with the Lions and never, maybe never really getting the show how good he could be, could have a great game on the biggest stage. You know, Sean McVay, who's supposed to be this wonderkind coach who still couldn't beat Doug Peterson, uh, you know, gets a chance to win that championship and kind of validate the Chunky Soup commercials and all that stuff. I think this is a really interesting game. Like you said, the playoffs have been awesome, um, certainly after the first weekend, you know, when all, after all those blowouts, the Eagles-Bucks game among them. But um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here. I, I, I think it would be cool if the Bengals won. I think, that, you know, that poor city has been suffering long enough, and those fans have been suffering long enough. It would be great to see them win the Super Bowl. Yeah, the the, uh, the odds makers may favor uh, the Rams, but I would guess ninety percent of Americans will be rooting for Cincinnati on that day. Uh, hey, on uh, on Tuesday, February fifteenth, Mike Sealski will be joining Mark Zumoff and me and others for uh, an evening to benefit Philadelphia youth basketball. We're going to be at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap, uh, 3 DeKalb Street in Bridgeport, a place, Mike, you're very familiar with. Yes, sir. Conchi uh, Brewing, Conchi uh, Brewing Company has released a collaborative beer with Mark Zumoff called Zooisms, 5.2% crushable hazy IPA, and money from each sale benefits Philadelphia Youth Basketball. We're going to have a party that night, uh, food, beer, etc., cetera, uh, some prizes, giveaways, raffles, 20% of all sales Go to Philadelphia Youth Basketball, and Mike will be there signing and selling his terrific book on Kobe Bryant, and we look forward to it. 
Uh, it's going to be great. The, the event we had a couple of weeks ago was terrific, and I plan on doing exactly the same thing at this event that I did at the last one, which is drafting off of Ray. And his, I'm not uh, sure Ray's going to be there. So, so. Oh, you're not going to be there? Oh, my gosh. Well, no. it's, 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 it's up in the air. It's up in the uh, air. You, you may have uh, to stand on your own. We'll see. No, no, my sales are going to go down if Ray's not there. He, you, <laughs> Ray, you got to be there, man. Come on. Well, you, you guys can talk off the air. We, will, okay. we will discuss that. Yeah, it's still, it's still, it's still a possibility, now. Michael. I might still yeah, okay. see you there. All right. I'm, All not right. Gonna, I'm not putting any pressure on you, but you better be there. Okay. Hey. Mike, Mike's <laughs> book is terrific, and people should buy his book. And if Ray comes, that'll be all the better. But uh, we look forward to it, Mike. And Philadelphia Youth Basketball is a great cause, and, and Zoom yeah. Off is uh, terrific. We're excited to be uh, working with him. Zoo is the best. Yeah. The best. All right, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank uh, you, Mike. We'll, we'll see you then. <laughs> Sorry. Ray, I didn't know he was going to pressure you on that one. <laughs> You sure you didn't put him anyway. up to that? Now. No, no, no. You told me you're thinking about it, and I'll, you know. You I am. About it. Yeah, I am. I got it. Listen, you do a lot for me and for that, you know, the charity and all that, so whatever. You, you know, figure out what works. But we're looking forward to that event on the 15th, and then we'll tell you more about it coming up. Zoom Off, by the way, is great to work with. And I know this is of no concern to you, Ray, but the beer is great. Um, <laughs> let's go and to. It's certainly, and it's, and it's, it's certainly a very good cause. It is a great cause. It's a great cause. Phil in the Northeast is with us. Got thoughts on the Washington, whatever the hells they yeah, are. The, well, think, I mean, Phil? it's the perfect nickname, the Red Tails. Uh, yeah, right? The yeah. Red Tails or the Red Wolves? You're right. The Red Tails red was tails the, was the, the uh, Muskegee Airmen. Yeah, that's that right. was the Tuskegee Airmen reference. Yeah. Yeah, it would have worked for me. Yeah. Can I, uh, do you fellas know that the uh, Redskins nickname goes back to when they were the Boston Redskins? It was a tribute to the. Um, Boston Tea Party, so that's about Man, all. Yeah, that's what they said in hindsight. What I read, because when all this was going on uh, and people were discussing it, there was a newspaper article that came out in the Boston Globe or the Boston Herald, American, whatever, that they were the Boston Braves, right? Right. And that there was also the baseball team, the Boston Braves, and right. so they decided to change it to avoid confusion. Mm-hmm. And that Redskins was in no way to honor anything other than they thought it was a cool nickname. Oh, thank you, folks. All right, you got it. You got it. Uh, Lou in Mount Laurel wants to talk a little pucks. Lou. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, what's up, Glenn? How are you? I'm good, my friend. Glenn, as I know you, you love ice hockey as much as I, I do. I, I got to say, I thought this weekend's the way they advertised it and conducted it, I thought hurt pieces of my soul as a hockey fan. I thought it was embarrassing this weekend, the All-Star game. Please, please expound. Uh, did, did you see any of the skills competition? I, I saw I literally watched nothing. It, it's funny. I, I <laughs> forgot it was even going on until I saw on social media it, how well Drew had done. And not to mention, they, they put it up against the opening ceremonies, and they wonder why they have low viewership. They, they just It just came across as cheesy and hokey. I don't know any other way to explain it. It, was just, it just seemed so forced. It really did. Then it it was bad. It was just bad all around. Ray, we talk about how well, Ray. I think we do this pretty much with most of the leagues because we talk about how baseball is killing itself. And you've passed your thoughts on Roger Goodell, right? Ray, does, where's the NHL rank in terms of uh, how how well run that league is from the top? Uh, pretty bad. Although I will, I, I do have to give them their props for coming up with the idea for the um, the the winter outdoor game, which I think was a was a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. and as. Yeah. You know, has really kind of been something that people look forward to. I, I think there's a danger of overdoing it. You, you do it multiple times. I think that, that one a year is kind of a nice highlight event, and I think the idea itself was, was really a, a neat idea. But for the most part, no. I, I, think that, uh, I think that hockey, 
like all the other sports, to me, cries out for much better leadership than what it has. And so, Lou, yeah, go ahead. Does Giroux winning the MVP, does that help his case to maybe increase his trade value a little bit? Well, I'll tell you what. I will answer that question for you in one second. First, let's hear this. Look at Giroux, what a play. Did you see that? Oh, Giroux, still one heck of a player. Here's a little example of backhand, forehand. Gibson, no chance on that one. The 2022 Honda NHL All-Star MVP is Claude Giroux. Well, Lou, all that said, nah, it doesn't affect his, his trade value is what it is, and I actually think it should be pretty high. He can go to a cup contender and, you know, be on a, one of the top two lines. I mean, Claude Giroux is still an excellent player. Do you, you think this is a, a Ray, Ray Bork 2.0 where they trade him to somebody who's right there? And I hope so. Kind of, yeah, me too. I do. I, I would, you I know. Do. Hey, Lou, always a pleasure, man. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, be well. Ray, I, I would imagine that uh, Claude Giroux is going to be willing to, to accept a trade. Should be. Yeah. Uh, I think they can get a good haul for him. And wherever he goes, assuming it's not a team that I dislike, I hope he gets to carry the cup. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll root for him, for sure. Um, I mean, you got the feeling, listening to Chuck Fletcher, when they did uh, when did the press conference a week or so ago, um, you kind of got the feeling that, that that they're planning, that they're trying to make this trade, and he's and his Giroux has the no trade clause, and he was saying that he could block it if he wants to, but I can't imagine he would want to. It, it certainly seemed as if the organization was trying to make this happen, and they expected Giroux to go along with it. And why wouldn't he? Yeah. And have an opportunity at this point in his career. The Flyers certainly aren't going to be competing for anything this year or anytime soon. So why not? And you know he's been he's been a really really good player and uh, and you know I mean in, in the a captain in the sense that Bobby Clark was no but there'll only be one of him uh, you know I think that he's he's been a really good player for a long time through a not particularly stellar era of Flyers hockey and I think people have sometimes lost patience and gotten irritated with him but through no fault of his own um, to me he's been a really good player here and a, you know the longest tenured athlete, professional athlete in the city of Philadelphia. I would like to see him get an opportunity to go to a team, and if he wins, gets on a team and wins the cup, and I get to see him hold the cup and do a lap around the rink, I'll feel good for him. I really yeah, will. I'm with you. 215-592-9494. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now. Coming up, we're going to do a quick, what will Ray watch today? Ooh. On 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Right in your Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. We're going to talk to Zach Berman of The Athletic uh, at noon. Zach was in Mobile, Alabama this week covering the... Um, the Senior Bowl, so we'll get his take on that. Let me get Brian, and then I want to find out what Ray's watching today. Hey, Brian, I know you've been hanging a while. Thanks for your patience. Sure. How are you guys doing? All right. Hey, uh, what do you think of Iron Pigs as a name? Ray? I thought it was dumb, but, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what's, an, what's an Iron Pig? But I, I, know, I understand that it's all in the marketing. You know, it's, it's, there, there, was a well, whole, I, there was a whole spate of stuff, and it, it was very big in minor league baseball. To come up with crazy names, crazy nicknames to sell, help sell merchandise. So from well, that, that standpoint, had, that from that standpoint, to, they were pretty successful. That had to do with Bethlehem Steel, you know, Pig Iron. That's right. that's where the name came from. Right. But I just I just thought it was a stupid name. It's a gimmick. Can I ask you something else really quick that's been sure. bothering me? Go for it. Up here, in, up here in the Lehigh Valley, there are billboards that say that the casino in Bethlehem has elusive slots in Pennsylvania. Doesn't that imply that they have control over the outcome? Uh, you're asking me a question that I choose not to answer. I'm not going to speculate on how casinos do their business. I don't see that as a winning proposition for me because, A, I don't know, and, B, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know how casinos work. I have, I have no idea. Right. All right, Ray. Uh, let's play What Ray's Watching Today. So... At 3 o'clock today, Ray, kickoff. AFC, NFC, Pro Bowl, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, ESPN and ABC. Ray, do the yellow legal pads make a visit to the couch for this one? Uh, no. What? Ray, it's a, it's a football game. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's two-hand touch. That's basically uh, what it is. Okay. All right, I have I haven't watched one of those games in. Oh God, I can't I can't remember the last time I watched right. one. So here's the, here's the question. So this is what else is on tonight? Uh, obviously, the Olympics, and I have not I have not yet watched a second of the Olympics. Uh, the, the reason why is because so my wife is out of town. We the niece is having a baby shower up in Massachusetts, and I we couldn't get away. So my wife is up there this week, 
And to me, it was a perfect opportunity to binge watch Ozark, a show that I like that she doesn't watch. Uh-huh. So it's like I'm just trying to get the 11 episodes or however many there are out of the way before she gets home. So I've not watched the Olympics. Maybe I'll watch some tonight, although I, I got a dirty feeling about the Olympics. Um, I will, before I ask you if you're watching the Olympics, I will project, Ray, that the Pro Bowl today will get hot, will out uh, uh, draw the Olympics. Oh, yeah, I've, by far. Right? Yeah. And as you said, the Pro Bowl is—it's not a football game. No, it's not. It's a—it's a—it's a show. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's a show, and the players—the players, the Olympics the players the know it, and the players admit to it. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it—it's amazing to me that it gets—it gets numbers. It really does. I mean, I—I I, I was sort of of the opinion that look, if I—if I'm not watching this, nobody's watching it because nobody watches more football than I do. And then a few years ago, I was talking to somebody. Oh no, no, the Pro Bowl gets. Big numbers, oh, and yeah. and it does bigger than any basketball game. Well, obviously, any base, baseball didn't get anybody bigger than. I, again, I'm projecting, but I I predict it will it will draw more eyes than the Olympics. Yeah, because I don't get the feeling that there's a whole lot of interest in this country in in these particular Olympics. Some of Mm-mm. it, you know, a lot of it political. A lot of it mm-hmm. is uh, invo- involving the fact that it's in China. And yeah, it's uh, dirty. it is kind of dirty. And I mean, they're. China is censoring everybody, and they're 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 pushing away camera crews, and it's like I I don't want to support that. Yeah, I know. Um, and my son's over there. I know he is. So my son, my what's he doing there. today? What's he got? Uh, he's been pretty much well. He did opening ceremonies. Yes, yeah, uh, and he's. But other than that, he's going to be pretty much uh, exclusively on figure skating. Oh, that's good because that the, you will be able to watch that. Right. Right. Assuming they have camera people on everything. There are going to be a lot of sports, that, like cross-country skiing. Who's ever got that assignment as a camera person? It's like they're going to spend a lot of hours in the cold and maybe 30 seconds of it will be on the air. Right. But your son, it's like his work is going to be, it's going to be featured. Yeah, and he's, in, and he's in an enclosed building. Yeah. So it's uh, so it freezes rear end off. Yeah, so from a comfort standpoint, from a workability standpoint, it's good. And also from an audience standpoint, because his... Whatever he's shooting is going to be the most most watched stuff. Yeah, and in all cult coverage because that's that's the one that. thing that uh, that's the one thing that gets the crossover audience. You know, exactly. everybody everybody sort of everybody likes the figure skating, and uh, so I don't know how many people are going to be watching the Olympics as a whole. I don't think a ton, but I guarantee you, when it's all said and done, and they break it down, that the figure skating will be the most watched event. Oh yeah, always figure skating in the winter, gymnastics in the summer, and for the reason you said, it tr- men and women both tend to watch it in large numbers yes uh okay so david didinger's work aside what winter olympic sports interest raymond didinger well i'll probably watch figure skating knowing it's his work i'm knowing it's knowing it's his camera on that beyond that and it doesn't even have to be this year but typically you want me to go first well i mean I'm, i'm a hockey fan so i'll watch the hockey yes although it's a shame there's no nhl players but whatever yeah it's what it is I love downhill skiing. I love watching downhill skiing. I find that very exciting. Slalom is good. Uh, just, just speed is good. I don't the the what's the the mogul thing is. I don't like that. The snowboarding, no. But downhill skiing is. Come on, those guys are on the edge every second. Going, what are they going like a hundred miles an hour? Uh, yeah, pretty fast. Yeah, I love that. That's very exciting. Ski jump, I can watch. That's pretty cool. I I never really. Um appreciate it because i'm not a skier yeah see i skied 
uh, for years. But I, even if I didn't, I think I would like skiing. Yeah, um, I I had no real appreciation of it because when you watch it on uh, television, Clomer Ray. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I I recognize Keeley. Yeah, I mean, I watched it as as you know back in the oh, days when everybody it. was watching skiing. But I, I'm saying I I got a whole new appreciation of it when I got to the newspaper and I started writing Olympic stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I remember one year they. The U.S. ski team had what they call, uh, had a media day. Basically, it was almost like a Super Bowl media day to try and get all the interviews out of the way like in a weekend. Mm-hmm. So they had a media day at uh, Park City, Utah, which was right. where the U.S. Olympic team was training. And these were, this was back in the 80s. These were back in the days when uh, the Mayer brothers, Phil and Steve Mayer, yeah, yeah, were the yeah. two big stars. And Tamara McKinney was the big female skier. Uh, and so they were all available for a weekend, and all the media kind of gathered there. And it was, to me, it was a real education in what skiing was and when it when when i watch skiing on tv when you get the 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 camera angle it looks like i mean you know they're going downhill but it it looks it the the sloping of it looks fairly gentle you know you don't realize until and they took us all up to the gate uh where you know where the skiers come out the gate and hit the hill Uh, and we all stood there and looked down and when you look down, you are looking straight down. Oh, yeah. Into the abyss. You are looking straight down. It's not, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, when you watch it on TV, it looks like it's kind of like you're skiing down the side of a mountain, but there's a, you know, there's kind of a, an incline. It's like 45 degrees, you know. Uh, but when you get in the gate and you look down, I mean, you, you, it's like you're looking down an elevator shaft of snow is what it looks like. And I got a whole different kind of appreciation for what those athletes can do. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Yep. Uh, by the way, it's funny because, um, how many years ago did I post this? Eight years ago today, I posted on Facebook a list of the top Olympic movies, all of which are in our book, the ultimate book of sports movies. You ready? Mm-hmm. Number one, this is how we ranked them at the time. Miracle. Right. Still a phenomenal movie. Chariots of Fire. You mm-hmm. liked it more than I did, but. Well, they won the Oscar but, for best picture that year. I. In a big I, upset. I, I. I I liked it. You liked it more than I did. You and, and Hollywood liked it more than I did. And Jerry Jones. I think that's why yes, you Yes, Jerry like Jones' favorite movie. That's it was Jerry Jones picked it as his favorite movie. <laughs> yes, I know. That does not impact I, I'm on Ray's side. I think Chariots of Fire is a great movie. Okay. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't, it's, not, it's, not in my, it's not among my favorites. But we put it in high in our sports movie book because, you know, Ray, Ray made a good argument. Uh, three is one that is not in our book because uh, it's not – Really, a sports movie, Munich, but that was a terrific movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, Downhill Racer. Speaking of skiing, speaking of Gene Hackman, speaking which, of Robert Redford, yeah, which is really, really good, and Hack- a movie that almost Hackman nobody and Redford, has seen. Redford are really good in that. Have you? I have not seen it. You wrote about it when we did the book. I have not seen it in a lot of years. Has it aged well? What's that? Downhill Racer. Oh yeah. Some movies are great, and then you look at them twenty years later, and it's like, oh yeah. No, really good director Michael Ritchie directed it and did yeah, a really yeah. good job. And Redford Redford did a lot of his own skiing. Yes, not all of it, obviously. Some of it was, you know, some of it was really professional looking. But a lot of you know, there was a lot of shots there where Redford was doing his own skiing and was was very good. Was very very good at it. And it's uh, yeah, it's it. You don't see it much. It doesn't pop up on TV very mm-hmm. often. No, um, you'd have to try to find. But it. it's it. He's you know he plays this sort of egotistical. Um, skier, who's, yeah, who doesn't, you know, and Gene Hackman is the coach of the U.S. ski team, and he wants him on the team because he's so good, but 
Hackman's trying to build the team as a team, and Redford is making it very clear that like, I'm not I'm not here for anybody but me. And that's basically the root of the story. And it's the both of both of them are very good, and the and the the action footage, the skiing footage, is excellent. Uh, number five, we had Without Limits. That was the uh, movie about Steve, Steve Prefontaine Steve with Prefontaine. Billy Crudup is, as Steve Prefontaine. I think Donald Sutherland's the coach in that one, right? Uh, yeah, and written and directed by Robert Town, who did uh, Chinatown. Yes, yeah, that's a good one. And number six, <laughs> Cool Runnings. Bobsled I'll watch, right? Would you watch a little bobsled? Eh, I like bobsled. Yeah, I like bobsled. I've done. You ever do? You ever go to um, Lake Placid and do the bobsled down the hill? Uh, I never rode in it, but I, I, I did. Cool. I did Lake Placid. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You, they, they have the thing that they set up permanently after the Olympics. You can go and you can do the bobsled. It's like about a minute ride, but uh, it's actually very cool. I enjoyed that. Okay. Well, there you go. That's our Olympic talk for the day. <laughs> Two one uh, five. I am going to be curious to see what the numbers are. To see how how I watched. think they're going to be really bad. <sighs> yeah, I think the China thing is going is turning people off, and also mm-hmm. just just the incredible time difference. You know, the, yeah. every everything's going to be on tape. Nothing's going to be live. I yeah. think that's going to kill the audience that, too. That does hurt. That does. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Ray and Glenn, take some calls coming up on 94 WIP. I'm back now, 94 WIP. So, Ray, Doug Peterson uh, meets the media down in Jacksonville yesterday. I just want to play one quick cut um, of him because I, I got a definite impression from this. Uh, and it's I think it's like 15 seconds is all. So let, let's play this motion. Do you feel like you're behind the eight ball in terms of putting together a, a staff? You feel like you're behind, like, already? No. No. Confidence-wise, then, in, in being able to assemble? Very high. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. Ray's giving him nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's giving him nothing without being a, a, a jackass about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of coaches would feel pressure there. I think Doug, having uh, spent five years with the Philadelphia media, like, is going to Jacksonville is going to be no challenge in that regard for him. Coaching there may be, yeah. The future of the team may be, mm-hmm. but I think Doug 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 can handle all this. Yeah, uh, I think so. I think I think he's a good coach. I I, I really do. Um, I it didn't end happily for him in Philadelphia. Uh, I think there was a, certainly a level of frustration that he felt and some strain with the front office here at the end. Um, but what he did in taking over that team from Chip Kelly and, and rebuilding the team from within and, and helping the team establish its personality, uh, and finding chemistry with those guys, uh, and building the team the way he built it and guiding it through that 2017 season. And really very smartly capitalizing on the seizing on the whole underdog thing. Yep. And, you know, sort of establishing, this is what we are. This is our identity. And nobody believes in us but us. And, uh, you know, the, the Malcolm Jenkins quote, you know, we all we got, we all we need. Uh, you know, Doug saw that, was the, that had become the personality of the team, and he, and he rode that. Yeah. Um, and did a, really, did a really good job and was a terrific play caller on top of it. You, you know, you look back on what he did in that Super Bowl. Um, you know, I mean, he went there, and with his play calling, he beat Tom Brady on Tom Brady's best day. Yeah. Not too many people can say that. Yeah, he shoved it up Belichick's nose. He had he had guts. He, you know, big balls dug. I mean, he that Philly special took a lot of nerve, right? And going for it on fourth down, the pass to Ertz. And he, 
When Andy lost in the Super Bowl to Belichick, uh, Andy, well, Andy's history to me was was always he was very cautious. Doug's like, hey, if I'm going to be Belichick, we got to let it all fly, and he did, and I will always appreciate it. And you made, you know, speaking of Reed and speaking of Peterson, um, you made a, an interesting comment to me before we did the show about Philadelphia coaches being, I mean, the word is recycled. I don't mean to say it in a bad way, but go ahead. Yeah, um, I, our um, our producer yesterday, Dan Wilson, mentioned it to me. You know, with, with Doug Peterson getting this job, uh, he said that, you know, do you realize every Eagles head coach going back all the way back to 1972, that's 50 years, every Eagles head coach when he left Philadelphia got another head coaching job in the NFL. Yeah. Um, and on, at first you know, I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, that's – uh, okay. And then, then, then I began thinking how extraordinary that is. That, and then I thought, well, I wonder if any other team, if, if that's true of any other team. Uh, and I went back and yesterday afternoon, uh, I actually went back and I researched it. And Wait, you went through all 32 franchises? Yeah. Oh, geez, right. It didn't take that long. I know it was a cold day, but... <laughs> it didn't holy. take that long. Yeah, Google's I guess you just wonderful... go back until like three minutes into it's like okay, they're out. Yeah, they're out. I mean you okay. you go you go back on most teams and you don't have to go back that far. Yeah, you know you you go back to the San Francisco 49ers, It's Chip Kelly. So it's like it's like two two days ago. You know? Right. So it's not like you have to go way back and see and find guys that didn't get another head coaching job. Most of it, most of these guys have bombed out and never been heard from again within the last ten years. Yeah. So, but for the Eagles, it goes back. It's you know, Doug Peterson's in Jacksonville. Chip Kelly got a job in San Francisco with the 49ers. Andy Reid, of course, Kansas City. Ray Rhodes, one year with Green Bay. Yeah. And this and these are not assistant coaches now, the head coaches. No, no, head okay. coaches. Yeah, yeah, I okay. got you. Richie Coatsite got fired here, gets hired immediately by the Jets. And and I remember people in New York, writers in New York, saying like, oh, Philadelphia. There was a guy, Canizaro. What's a football writer named Canizaro? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, What's Mark, Mark Canizzaro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember his column, man. And I remember, it's so funny. Why would I remember this? What, what year was that, 1990-something? Yeah. But he wrote, like, these fools in Philadelphia don't know what they've lost. These idiots heckled him out of town. Yeah, Rich Cote was 4-28 and in two years with the Jets. Yeah. That's yeah. it. I'm and Mark and and Mark's still writing for the New York Post. Well, now that shows you something, doesn't it? There you go. And okay. before before him, Buddy Ryan, sure, who, who winds up going to Arizona. Arizona. Marion Campbell got let go here and got rehired by the Atlanta Falcons, where he had been head coach before. I didn't remember that. Okay, he had been head coach in Atlanta. Uh, I'm, then got I'm guessing fired. That didn't work out well. Dick brought him here as his defensive coordinator. Then when right. Dick stepped down, Marion took over as head coach. Had three years here, very unsuccessful, got fired, and the Falcons rehired him as their head coach. Okay. Okay. Then, of course, there was Dick Vermeil, who, right. who stepped down, was out for 14 years, came back with the Rams and later with the Chiefs. And then the coach before him, Mike McCormick, who was let go after the 75 season, got two head coaching jobs. He was head coach of the, of the then Baltimore Colts and then the Seattle Seahawks. So you got to go. That's nine co head coaches from the Eagles wow. that were fired or stepped down yeah. and all – and all came back as NFL head coaches yet again. You got to go all the way back to Eddie Kayat, Eddie Kayat, who got let go after a two eleven and one season in nineteen seventy two. Never became a head coach in the NFL again. He became a head coach in the Arena League, but never in the NFL. And that's how far back you have to go. You 
they can't, you can't find a similar pattern with any of the other 31 teams. Amazing. Uh, let, let me say this. I, I really do hope uh, for Doug Peterson that it works out for him more like Vermeil and Reed than it works out, worked out for Campbell and Cotite. Yeah, I think that's I think that's well said. I mean, I saw some of I was watching NFL Network uh, last night, and I saw some of Doug's press conference, and uh, and he was, you know, he he, he looked great, you know, uh, and Dan rested and ready to go. He, as they said about Nixon it, once upon it, a time. It's exactly it's exactly what he said. He said, you know, I really i i had i had offers uh, to go as an assistant coach on a few different staffs, and he said, but I just felt like I needed time. I felt like I just needed time away. I needed the break, uh, and then later came out there were some things happening in his family. His brother, his, you know, his brother yeah, was dying of cancer, that. and his yeah. son was going to get married, and they was expecting a grandchild, and so there were a lot of family things that nobody really knew about that he kind of wanted to be there for that, and he felt like he needed a year away anyway. But he said, I, you know, now he said I really want, I really want it back in, and now I've got this opportunity, and I, I feel ready to take full advantage of it, and I hope he does. I think he's, a, I think he's a nice guy. I liked him. Yep, me too. Me too, no question. Charles in Lancaster, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Charles. Ray and Glenn, how are you? All right. Hey, I want a question for you. Out of the four the top teams in Philly, if you had to rank them, one being the team that's going to win the championship the next and four being the furthest away, how would you rank them between the Sixers, Phillies, Eagles, and Flyers? Um, well, I'll go first. I would say, I mean, Sixers – are the one that have a legitimate chance now, so I, I think you got to go Sixers, uh, Eagles two, and then it's a long, long fall between to the Phillies, and then it's a much, much longer drop to the uh, Flyers. Ray, uh, you see it any differently? No, I would. That, that's the same order I would put them in, and I, I, and I don't think I, frankly, I don't think any of them are close. I think the Sixers. The Sixers it, have it, the, the Sixers have the best right chance because the they're going to be in the playoffs and they have the best player. But I, you know, I don't really see them as. I, I think it's highly unlikely they're going to they're going to win the championship. And the other teams, I think, are far away. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for the response. Uh, you got it. No problem. Yeah, I, I, I think ninety percent of people would probably rank it that same way. Yeah, I mean the, the Flyers aren't even in the same universe. I mean, that's, I mean they're so far Flyers away. Flyers aren't in the league. If it, let, let me put it this way: if, if it was the English Premier League, the Flyers would face relegation. Yeah. They, hey, hey, they hired Danny Briere, or they promoted Danny Briere, whatever, assistant to the general manager, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew Danny as a player. Uh, we had Danny as a uh, tell us your story guest. Yes, we did. In fact, and uh, I think he's a very sharp guy, and I think. On its face, that this is probably very good for the organization. I really can't pass judgment beyond that because, you know, again, you know a guy and you think a guy's bright and so on, but I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. But I am glad to see that they are at least making some changes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously <laughs> needed. I mean, at the end of this year, I mean, they should just really clean house. I mean, just – and. Um, uh, if the idea is if, if Briere emerges as a guy with some real power, um, I'm, I'll take a chance with that mm-hmm. over over what we've seen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's you know there. Oh, you and I have talked about it a lot over the last few weeks. Um, it pains me. It really does. As somebody who's been who's been behind this team and excited about this team and followed this team literally from from their creation back in '66 '67. Um, to see them where they are now, it's 
it's really sad. I mean, I can't even, you know, I really like hockey and I've been with the Flyers from day one and I can't even bring myself to watch them now. They're so bad. And that's, I I feel, you know, I don't, I don't brag about that. I feel bad about that and I'd like to see it changed. Yeah. They're unwatchable. Uh, our, our friend Joe Wechter has a bone to pick with you, Ray. What's that? He said, uh, you, when you're reading off all the Eagles, former coaches who got a job coaching, Mm -hmm. how dare Ray leave out Fred Bruni? Oh, Pat Shermer, too. Pat Shermer. Pat 1-0, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, there you go. Fred Bruni was 1-0. Fred Bruni was 1-0. Fred Bruni really won at Wait, the Fred job. Fred Bruni was 1-0 and Pat Shermer was 1-0? That is correct. I think we have a strategy for the future. Just let bring guys in, let them coach one game, and then bring in somebody else? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever the head coach is, you know, at the end of the year, it's like, hey, thanks, you can leave a week early. Yeah, right. Fred. Fred really wanted that job, and then uh, he coached his butt off that one day, you know. Uh, and uh, and they, you know, <laughs> uh, Norman Brayman just uh, no. He he was he was determined. He he had fallen in love with Buddy Ryan, and he wanted Buddy Ryan, and Buddy Ryan it was. Yeah, and that was a marriage that uh, and worked for a while, but boy, that ended ugly. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Coming up, we're going to talk to Zach Berman of the Athletic about all things football. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now on ninety four WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend four point four hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.